right, let's stop wasting time. We need a hit on the Sacramento Kings win last night. Let's bring in a guy who covers the Kings at an elite level for the Sacramento Bee. He's joining us right now, Chris Peterman. What's yeah. up, Chris? What's up, guys? How are you? We're good, man. How you doing? I'm I'm good. I'm a little tired. It's late late NBA NBA nights are still you know <sighs> catching up with me a little bit, but I'm working on it. I'm working on what? get getting on enough getting on enough sleep. What time are you? Because we heard some of your questions in the locker room with Kevin Herter after the game. Like, what time are you getting out of there? I left the arena at like midnight last night, I think. Oh, and yeah. sadly, like, didn't get to see the beam. I guess they turned the beam off at around midnight. Yes, they do. Maybe during the week. I, yeah. You know, it's a little disappointing, but it's fine. Yeah. They they definitely turn off. I don't know why. There must be some regulation. They have to turn it off for some bizarre reason. Sure. Um, and then you're at practice today. Um, what, what? Let's start with that. Before we go back to last night, obviously the Kings got the win. Mike Brown was obviously upset too with the rebounding issues. What were the vibes like today uh, following Kings practice? I mean, generally they're pretty good. I, I think what stood out, um, we, we obviously followed up with Mike about his messaging and just sort of the timing of it, right? Because it felt very pointed in terms of when this message was sent to the team, right? It was, um, you know, obviously our stars, Damanis Sabonis and De'Aaron Fox have to set the tone for the rest of the guys and hold everybody accountable. Um, and just the timing of it was, it gave, gave the indication that Brown is maybe sensing that his team is feeling itself a little bit, right? They're mm-hmm. seven and one since the all-star break. Um, they're, you know, what the best from a net ratings perspective, the best, if not one of the best teams in the fourth quarter, um, their defense, which you talk about a lot is going into last night was 10th in the NBA in terms of per 100 possessions. Um, so I, I think there was an element that Mike Brown wanted to nip in the bud, like guys, we haven't accomplished anything yet. We've been a nice regular season story, but our goals are clearly a lot bigger than just making the playoffs, right? And just even having home court advantage. Like home court advantage, I, th- I would I would guess in Mike Brown's mind, isn't going to mean a whole lot if they don't advance past the first round, right? So I asked him about just his um, the timing of that message coming after the big win, after being on national TV um, amid a seven and one stretch. And he basically said like, we're not going to take the next step as a team until Demonis Sabonis and De'Aaron Fox are the ones delivering the message and holding those guys accountable. And I'm sure you guys have talked about it already today with Fox in particular. It was about stringing together a full 48 minutes and not having to rely on him taking it to that extra level in the fourth quarter consistently. And obviously that's a big part of his game and a big reason why the Kings have been successful this year. But Brown wants Fox to be more locked in in the first and second quarters and even the third quarter, right? Like, so they don't need him to turn it on necessarily at that level. And and it's not even necessarily about scoring. It's just about all the other little things that Mike Brown harps on defensively, moving the ball, shot selection, um, rebounding is is obviously a big one. So it was, I I think it was really fascinating uh, sort of, approach Mike Brown is taking because this is a guy who's clearly been there, right? Like he's been on coaching staffs that have included or that have coached Tim Duncan and Kobe Bryant and LeBron James and Steph Curry and Kevin Durant and all those guys. And he's seen what it takes to win championships. And so he's pushing the idea that like, Hey guys, we're not resting on our laurels just because we're playing well since the all-star break and the seating is what it is. Like if we want to get to that championship level, these are the steps we have to take. 
And it starts with De'Aaron Fox and Damana Sabonis taking more ownership of the roster and setting the tone. So it's not just Mike Brown harping on all these things. So what's the tone then after like last night, you're in the locker room, you're obviously talking to Kevin Hurd. I felt like, you know, he, it's the understanding that comes from these teammates is pretty remarkable. Like everyone's just buying in is on the same page, but now we factor in Mike Brown calling out the stars to kind of hold other teammates accountable. Does everyone with this team also seem pretty ready and, um, I don't know. Uh, bought in, yeah. Yeah, yeah, to, yeah, to that concept as well. Yeah, it seems like it. I mean, all indications are, you know, that that they're all bought in. Like, it, it didn't – no one seems upset that, like, oh, Mike Brown is, is you know, not happy with the way we're playing despite getting the win. And Mike put it into context a little bit, too. He's like, I made sure to tell him, like, guys, enjoy the fact that we won. Like, we won the game. That's obviously a good thing. But Mike is saying they set a standard – that they didn't that they didn't reach last night just in terms of the way they were playing the result was what they wanted but the standard wasn't there in terms of you know the defense the the allowing all those offensive rebounds and not boxing out Josh Hart like those types of things and that all started back in training camp like you talk to the players and they'll tell you like you know they signed the contracts um you know I, I know you you guys have probably talked about that like the contracts that they signed and everybody sort of embracing their role and developing a certain level of trust that allows Mike Brown to be hard on his guys, even his best players at this point in the season, even while the team is enjoying this, this level of success that no one really outside the building saw coming. Right. So it feels like right now that everybody is bought in and that obviously winning is going to cure any bad feelings that anybody has. So, um, but, but I think Mike Brown just has a, he's built up a ton of equity in that room, not only because of, how he's handled and coached the team, but because of where he comes from and because of what he's seen and the players he's coached and the coaches he's coached under. So I think all that is, is sort of sort of looking like a perfect storm at this point in terms of the way the players are buying in the way they're accepting their roles and understanding. Like another big point in the season is like a lot of guys, even Keegan Murray last night, Malik Monks at, at certain stretches of the season, Kevin Herter at certain stretches, like a lot of these guys don't get to play crunch time every night just because of how the game goes and, you know, whether or not they're they're rebounding or playing defense early in games. Like guys are sitting out fourth quarters and there isn't always a set rotation of who's in the game in crunch time. And there isn't that's not really an issue because everybody's bought in and everybody's understanding that Mike Brown is is trying to put the team in best position to succeed. And there's just an inherent level of trust, which I think ultimately like that culture that Mike Brown has built is really been as important as anything else that's happened this season, whether it's tactical or whether it's Darren Fox scoring in the fourth quarter, like that culture of accountability, we're starting to see it shine through. And I just saw it last night, like if they go on a run and they end up winning a round or two in the playoffs, like we can point to last night's game against the Knicks is like, okay, that's when they took a step in terms of maturing as a team and developing beyond like this cool regular season story. And like, okay, they might actually be on a path towards something a lot bigger than just reaching the playoffs and ending this playoff drought. It's just weird for several reasons, because one, this whole concept of being critical after a win is foreign because the Kings aren't usually winning anything meaningful in March. And usually if they are, it's like, oh, I want this is so fun. But, you know, you're just enjoying the yeah. 27 wins they might get in the season. So now you're to the point. It's like, no, we're not accepting this even in a victory. Like we have to be honest with where we are as 
a team at this point in time. I think that's just it, it's it's so refreshing to be honest. Um, I, I'm curious from your perspective, are you surprised at how fast the culture has seemingly yes. shifted? Because, you know. I know I was talking to Morgan before the season, you know, one of her things was like, look, I think the Kings, I think Mike Brown's the right guy, but the West is tough and it takes time to build and establish that type of culture. It's going to take, maybe take a year or two to get there. Are you surprised at how fast this has developed for Sacramento? Yes. And no, I've, I've asked different guys about that. And, and, you know, you have a new coaching staff. So, one of the things that I that I think has allowed it to happen so quickly is that there aren't necessarily a ton of ties to that losing culture. When you look at it's a new coaching staff for the most part, right? It's a it's a group of players with a lot of guys in the rotation that have joined the team within the last year or two, right? Like Trey Lyles added a last year's trade deadline, Demonis Sabonis last year's trade deadline, Kevin Herter over the summer. Uh, Malik Monk over the summer, right? Like these are a lot of core rotation pieces that are not tied to and any in any way the 16 years of of missing the playoffs right so they don't feel that burden they don't feel that weight that other people who have been with the organization throughout all that or fans have certainly dealt with like they're not they're not wearing that as you know bricks in their backpack trying to go through this season they're just playing basketball they're just doing what they're what they've what they've been training to do their whole lives right so they're not they don't feel the brunt of what the organization has been through in the same way that fans have so i think I think that's a big part of it. Um, and, and I think, you know, it's just a roster that makes sense. Like it, being able to get, and, and, you know, addition by subtraction, right? Like Buddy Heald isn't here. Marvin Bagley isn't here. Like not to throw those guys under the bus, but like yeah. there's a certain winning attitude that was really important to Monty McNair in terms of the guys that they brought in. Um, and uh, some of that is buying into and accepting your role, right? And so um, to have guys like Trey Lyles and Malik Monk and, um Keegan Murphy, Murray, obviously a, a rookie, right? Like he hasn't, he doesn't have any ties to, to the, lose, the, the losing stretch. So um, I think all of that points to it being a quicker turnaround than, than initially expected. And look, not to be a wet blanket either, but like oh, since the all-star oh. break, they they've gotten a little bit lucky in terms of like the teams they've played and not playing stars. Like they came out of the all-star break against Portland who didn't have Damian Lillard. Um, one of the Clippers games, Kawhi didn't play. Uh, Zion wasn't available in, in the Pelicans game. Um, you know, the Jalen Brunson sat out the second half last night. Kevin Durant's not going to play on Saturday. So, like, there is an element that, like, yeah, they're playing well and, and they're winning these games that they should win. But there's also an element of, like, all right, maybe the fact that, um, you know, they've been healthier. Demonis Sabonis is, like, vehemently against load management, right? Like, he is not going to sit games just to sit games. He's, like... I've asked him about it, and he's like, "No, man, I'm paid to play. I, I love to play." And he's never going to sit out a game if he doesn't I need love to. That guy. And and so that that's an element of it too. Like you could probably look around the landscape of the league and be like, "Yeah, the Kings are probably one of the healthier teams in the league." So that might have factored into you know the fact that and it, that comes along with some other teams maybe not having the type of regular season from a health perspective that they were anticipating. So that might lead to the Kings having a, a quicker turnaround than anticipated, also. You know, you talk about the buy-in and then you, you look at it from the starting unit all the way to the bench. And you mentioned one of the guys, Trey Lyles. We were talking to our guy, uh, Chris Watkins, earlier today about Trey Lyles. And he was talking about how he's like his number one fan. And that um, if you are a Trey Lyles fan, I just saw on Twitter, you the group is called Trey Bays. 
Oh, yeah. Chris is a Trey Bay, right? Yeah, so Chris we Peterman heard Chris Bay? Peterman is a Trey Bay. Is this true? What do you like about Trey Lyle so much? Uh, so I have never been, I've never heard that term. So I, don't <laughs> I have not before today either, but I like it. You're a Trey Bay. <laughs> Trey yeah. Bay. So I, I will say when there was all this talk about, you know, before the trade deadline and even the months before that, like, oh, the Kings really need to make a move. Uh, to find a backup center, it was like, do they or or should they just maybe try to go super small and play five out with Trey Lyles as their backup center? And then there was the overtime game in Minnesota, right, where instead of after Demonis Sabonis fouled out, um, instead of Mike Brown going to Chimezi Metu, he went to Trey Lyles and Trey Lyles, you know, like boxed out Rudy Gobert uh, that allowed somebody else to get a rebound. He He drew a foul trying to fight for an offensive rebound. Um, he hit a big three. He had a dunk in that overtime sequence. And I was like, all right, maybe the Kings are onto something. And, you know, talking to, to, to members of the coaching staff about it, they're like, you know, we we feel really good about that as sort of like a, 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 a nace in their pocket, right? Like they could potentially go to that. And look, like, you know, Mike Brown's been on a staff that that went super small with the Warriors, right? And and that was a change that really helped them win a playoff series or win playoff series, win a championship. I'm not saying that like Trey Lyles could potentially swing a playoff series, but given the style of play that the Kings play with and the speed and the shooting that they have, I would say in the playoffs and in high leverage situations and Mike Brown's done it. He did it last night again, too. Like that type of style might be better than trying to replicate what Domana Sabonis does, right? Like you, you're not going to get a backup big who's going to come in and rebound at the rate Sabonis does or pass like Sabonis does. And I'm not to, I'm not, I'm not saying Chemezi Metu is a bad player, but in high leverage situations, you might just be better off playing five out and playing super fast and pulling another big, the, the opponent's big man away from the paint by having Trey Lyles out there. And, and his versatility um, mm. get, just, just gives them a, a big boost in those spots. And look, like Trey Lyles makes two and a half million dollars a year. And you could probably go through the season and there's at least a handful of games where he's given you 15, 20 points and really been a difference in, in some of these victories. And for two and a half million bucks, I mean, that's, you know, there's a ton of value. And I know for a fact, like the Warriors would kill to have somebody like oh Trey Lyles coming off their bench, right? A lot of really good teams would love to have a guy who could play forward, either of the forward spots and small ball center, shoot the way he does, pass the way he does. And it's just like a cerebral guy, like, you know, in the locker room, he's not the loudest guy, but he's always reading. Like he's 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 a guy who's like always got his nose in books. He's a professional. He's he's definitely the type of guy that like embodies this buying into your role type situation. And the fact that the Kings were able to get him, you know, in the tra- at the trade deadline last year for Marvin Bagley, I, I I mean, I think that's under like really underrated in terms of the moves Monty McNair's made. Um, so yeah, like I've you know other guys <laughs> who work at your station have have given me grief about the Trey Lyles thing, but like I, you know, I didn't think they needed to go give away a bunch of assets to go get a backup center when you can hey. like, no, like let's, let's switch this thing up and play super fast with Trey Lyles and see if it works. And so far it looks like it has. I agree with you. I like Trey Lyles, small Hell ball yeah. five. I've been saying ever since that Minnesota game too, it just, it makes a lot of sense. Um, 
They also called him Kevin Lyles. Jamal Crawford. Oh, yes. Yeah, Kevin, Kevin Lyles, Lyles is, last is night. alter ego. Um, was it Jamal Crawford who said that? Yes. Oh, That's too bad. I mean, let's, I give, let's give Jamal benefit of the doubt. He's, yeah, he's played in the league. It's not like an announcer just like, you know, being no. yes. ill-prepared. Ill I think Jamal Crawford is, has paid his dues in, with the game. Of That's what I think, too. He's yeah. a nice guy, too. Um, on the broadcast, they were, you know, Brian Anderson was mentioning this late. It looked like Fox was laboring a little bit. You know, maybe the hamstring was bugging him. But then, of course, he turns it on. You're like, okay, well, was it really bugging him? Was he just fighting through it? Obviously, he missed that game. Brown said he held him out uh, the game before the Knicks game, which was... Well, who did they play? Who they, who they play, play before, before the Knicks? Knicks? New Orleans. Was it Minnesota? Oh, yeah. New Orleans. You're right. It's been a long week, Chris. It's been a <laughs> no, long but week. I'm with you, man. I'm, it's, um, it's been a long few weeks. <laughs> Did you notice anything with him laboring? Do you think it's still kind of a thing that's going to – we're going to have to watch here? Yeah, I mean, he said even leading up to yesterday's game that he didn't feel it, and if he did feel it, he wouldn't feel comfortable playing. Um, but hamstrings can pop up at any time, and they can kind of linger, in my experience covering you know even other sports, covering the NFL. Yeah. like If you have a hamstring issue, it's not just going to go away overnight. So it might be something that they're going to be really careful with. I wouldn't be surprised if they did give him more time off as as the regular season wound down here. Um, but, you know, I, I couldn't really tell from from my seat. Like, it, it seemed like, you know, he was playing really hard and some of those moves he had when he was getting to the basket and dunking um, and finishing in traffic and stuff in the fourth quarter last night seemed like he was operating at a pretty high level physically. Um, but, you know, I he's he's also a guy who will – do something really explosive and then sort of shuffle back <laughs> on defense. And I don't know if he's, he's, if that's a way he just saves energy or, if, or if there is something there in terms of the hamstring and, and the way he feels it. So um, it wouldn't surprise me just given how tricky hamstrings can be. And, and, you know, with all the traveling and flights that they have coming up, um, I probably look at next Thursday's game in Brooklyn after playing in Chicago on Wednesday you know, are the Kings maybe going to think about not playing him at the back end mm. of a back-to-back? -back? Yeah. Um, you know, that's something I'm, I'm sure they'll consider, and I'm sure they're they're going to think about a lot. Um, and Fox has been banged up. You know, he's he had the wrist thing in Oklahoma City. He had, um, I, I know after the Dallas game a few weeks ago, he started having wraps on his fingers, I think, after, after hitting the floor trying to get a steal from Kyrie Irving. Um, there have been a few different moments where it feels like, you know, Fox physically is, has been a little bit banged up. And so, um, I, again, it wouldn't surprise me at all if down the stretch here, they give him a night or two just to, just to try to keep some wear and tear off his body ahead of the playoffs. Well, make sure to check out Chris's work, sackbead.com. Dude, you're killing it this year. I really Much like your stuff. It. No, Much you really, it's, it. it's been really good stuff. So <laughs> keep it up and, uh, yeah, we'll see you soon. Thanks for uh, hanging out with us today, Thanks, man. Thanks, Chris. Of course. Thanks for having me guys. It's always of good to course. see you. Trey Bay. Trey Bay. You know what? Like, I'm a big Trey Lyles guy. I don't know if I want to be a Trey Bay. Okay, that's fine. I'll be I'll be a Trey Bay then. I'll be the okay, Trey Bay. You could just be like, yeah, I like him at the small ball five. That's cool. All right, perfect. All right, Chris. I appreciate you, man. All right. Chris, see you guys later. Thanks for having me. See ya from the Sacramento Bee.